Welcome to the podcast. It's a podcast about the culture of Hull, what we do and who we are. And the award goes to Michael Gibson for Hamilton. That was the moment earlier this year when Michael Gibson won an Olivier Award for his performance as King George III in the original West End cast of the era-defining musical Hamilton. It was Mike's second Olivier. The other one came earlier in his career for the madness musical Our House. And in between, he's become one of the finest performers of his generation, not just on stage, but also in big movies including Les Miserables and Star Wars The Last Jedi. He's from Hesel. He went to Hesel High School and like a lot of us when we were kids, he started performing in local amateur companies before heading south to train and make it his life. He's still proud of home though, and if you don't believe me, have a listen to the end of his acceptance speech. Special thanks to Cameron McIntosh for opening a letter from a lad from Hull who wanted to play the king. <laughs> this is dedicated to, to this is dedicated to Hesel Amateurs and to the National Youth Music Theatre. Thank you. Now, it's one thing to speak warmly and fondly of the place you came from, but it's another to come back to help the people who hope to follow in your footsteps and carve out a career in stage, film and TV. But that's exactly what Mike and producer and director Andy Pearson are going to do. Andy was one of the absolute legends in the whole delegation who went to Derry Londonderry in 2013 and delivered the successful pitch which won City of Culture. And have a listen back to podcast episode 2 if you want to hear all about that. Anyway, they have set up Hay Act, which stands for the Hull and East Yorkshire Arts and Culture Trust, and they've set it up to help young people gain access to careers in the arts. And they told me all about it. As you'll hear, it's coming up. First, though, let's listen to a conversation I had with Ben Lancaster, who is Director of Performing Arts at St Mary's College in Hull, and Hannah, who is a Year 13 student there. They told me what the roads to higher education in the performing arts look like, how much it costs, what you have to consider, and how arts education in colleges and schools has changed over the past 20 years. I started by asking Hannah how she's navigating her route into a career as a performer and what are the things she's having to think about. Um, I think a lot of it is like just going through different websites, finding like, I go into show programmes and see where the actors that I'm watching have trained and then from that go to the websites of the schools look at into the funding, the audition fees, the travel to get to the auditions, um, because in most of the cases a student loan doesn't cover the entire of the fees of the course. So it's looking into different things like that and then when once you've found stuff like that, how much of a student loan can you get to pay for the fees and how much of it are you going to have to subsidise yourself? Then looking at that. Were you tempted to do something else? Were you, were you kind of, is it a toss up between that or something else? I don't know because there's looking at the university courses in the same field but I think you don't get the same training and practical element that you would in a stage school so from looking like past going to the stage school I think it's like non-comparable like personally it's better to be immersed into the training constantly. Um, I left drama school in 98 and I think the world was a lot different then, the world of training uh, the decision you had to make it was free as far as I can remember to audition you'd have to pay for that. Uh, yeah, so I trained at um, a vocational performing arts college called Masters down in Essex. And when we look at how much it cost per academic year, I think at the time it was 3,000, I can see Hannah smiling, <laughs> 3,400, I think. Um, I was one of three boys in the entire college, uh, and all boys were offered a scholarship straight away. Mm. Um, and it, it, you are right, it, it was completely different. My audition was free. Um, I've managed to get a private audition uh, because I phoned up and just said, I'm, I'm thinking about going. And, and I think they, they got me in like within two days to audition. Um, but if we look at the college that I trained at now, 
think they've got 45, 50 boys mm. in the college as well. And it is a lot more now than it. I think it's, it's creeping up to 13, 14,000 pounds a year now, wow. which is just, it's, it's a mental um, figure to have in your head mm. uh, for one year, let alone three years mm. uh, at that standard. Um, so times have changed, but I fully believe that there is there is some light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. As long as you do your research uh, regarding what courses are available, um, what funding is available for certain courses, um, but also how much you get for, for the courses. There's a lot of words bandied about at the minute, such as Dada Awards. Uh, and the Dada Awards are uh, fantastic. I think it's £14 million a year available for Dada Awards. But um, if your course is £9,000 a year, um, the maximum you can get for a Dada Award is, if you are outside of London, £4,500. So you've still got money that you need to put forwards yourself, um, as well as your lodgings, uh, etc. Um, and I think sometimes what we try and do here, we talk about the industry a lot, don't we, Hannah? Yeah. Um, I am fully... Uh, committed to, and I'm a, I'm a true believer that when we get to 16 to 18 education, we don't deliver just what's in the pages of the specification, because mm. um, that that will that will happen naturally in order for a student to get their UCAS points and, and whatever they need. Uh, but there is a whole raft of other information that the students don't have access to on the on the qualification. And that's regardless of whatever qualification that they're doing. Um, so we 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 do talk about even little things, the difference between an agent and a manager, and do you need an agent, and what exactly do they do, um, and what don't they do. Um, but then also that scary prospect of being self-employed mm. when you graduate, and paying your taxes, and, and how you actually pay your taxes. Um, because these are things that I wasn't told about when I was training. Mm. Um, so at the end of three years, that conveyor belt moves closer, and eventually you're out in the wide world auditioning, and and you have no idea about the percentage of this money that you need and percentage of that money that you need. And That's really good. I mean, I, I don't remember getting much of that real-world sort of insight and help. Mm. Certainly not while I was at drama school, mm. never, never mind before. And you sort of pick things up as you go along. Yeah. You know, advice from friends, stuff off the internet. But that would have been really useful. I guess that's also useful when you're making a decision whether you want to do that. Yeah. That's really important. I think you're lucky here that you've got a really good sort of foundation and preparation for the industry that you might want to go into. Um, do, you, do you find that arts education has been kind of eroded? Maybe not here, but speaking to your colleagues, maybe <coughs> elsewhere. Um, yes, thankfully not at St Mary's. Yeah. Um, it, it's quite evident that the, the leadership team of St Mary's really do value um, the performing arts um, and we run performing arts in every single discipline that, that the qualifications allow for. Mm. However, in previous years there has been uh, a decline, maybe the last eight years, of more schools um, cutting their arts provision, uh, marginalising the arts or streamlining the arts or putting the arts on a carousel so students might do dance for a term, then drama for a term, and then music for a term, or something along those lines. And, you know, it, it, it's sad to read about staff or friends that that have to look for new jobs or, or, or something along those lines. But I think the students here, I think you really do get the benefit of having a performing arts curriculum that is robust, um, it is tried and tested, and we, we try and provide um, opportunities that you wouldn't normally be able to get in in other establishments. Mm. That's clear. I've seen your new facilities. You've got a new theatre and yeah. uh, new tech stuff. And yeah. a lot of students they, they sort of learn on the job, not just the performance side, but the kind of backstage lighting, and sound, mm -hmm. all that sort of thing. If you if you're not into performing, then you can do the other stuff as well. Um, do you have you got friends at the schools? Because you go to Napa, don't you? Yes. Have you got friends that? I'm not as fortunate as you. At their school, maybe there's an emphasis on sport or technology or other subjects. Where you sort of think, well, they've got to look elsewhere beyond school to sort of get any kind of basis in performance training. Yeah, so 
At Napa, they now offer courses in like GCSE music, dance and drama for the students who perhaps can't study at their own school. And I know a lot of people when they're going to like year 10 and year 11 are like coming to me for recommendations, like asking if St Mary's is good and kind of pushing them over to this one. I know Napa are recommending St Mary's a lot as well because the opportunities in the facilities are so like vast. Yeah. Like there are so many extra opportunities that you get that they might not have got at their old school because it is very focused on getting the grades for their GCSEs in like English, math, science. Which are important for whatever you're going to. And I guess it depends where you are in the country as well. You know, if you're miles away from a big city mm. um, where they don't have a Napa or they don't have really good um, out of school places to go, then if you've got talent, how, how do you find if you've got that talent? How, how do you find what you can do with it? Um, <clears throat> It's like a million dollar question, isn't it? Is. That? <laughs> um, I think it relies on um, grassroots projects, I think, more than anything. Um, and it relies on giving students at any age um, their first um, experience, dropping that seed of enjoyment and then seeing that seed grow and grow and grow. When we look at you know, getting to Hannah's age, uh, so getting to students that are um, 17, 18, in year 13, ready to train. Obviously, when, when myself and yourself trained, I moved away at 16 um, and, and, and did it that way. Um, those types of courses are increasingly becoming less and less available. They're gearing more up towards 18 now. Um, there are, I mentioned earlier, there's, there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Students have that choice whether they want to go to university or whether they want to go to a vocational college or whether they want to go to a conservatoire. I am in a very fortunate position to lead uh, the department here where we do have our staff that went to university. We do have the staff that went to a state school, for want of a better phrase, and we do have those staff that went to a conservatoire as well. So what we do, um, Hannah, when you were in the start of year 12, yeah. we did uh, a progression route information evening where all my staff, myself included, we all had a, a moment on the theatre stage in front of our students um, where we said, I went to a university and the structure was X, Y, Z. The structure hasn't changed too much. The modules haven't changed too much. Um, this is the type of timetable that you would have per year. And, and then uh, I would stand up and say um, the difference between what you've just heard and, and where I trained would be X, Y, Z. Uh, and then my member staff that uh, went to a conservatoire would, would also um, talk about their experiences. So straight away at the start, students in Hannah's year group were able to to start finding which and it's an awful term to use but which pigeonhole they fit into um, because Hannah will learn when she and I think Hannah is learning when she um, does her professional training and she's out in the industry um, there's she will know what parts suit her best um, but there's been a crossover in the last five or six years of what was once predominantly a private state school are still classified as private state schools, but the majority or the vast majority are now linked with a university. So again, a student could go, but they could still apply for student funding for something that was once deemed as private education uh, within the performing arts. Um, so uh, for example, a place like uh, Performers College, which is your, your full-time, your singing, dancing, acting, um, down in Cunningham. That was always, uh, I, I don't know the price off the top of my head, it was X amount of pounds per year. Um, and it was in the hope that after three years you would leave with no qualifications, but you'd have some, some fantastic technique and you know, cracking voice and wonderful accents and, and, and those workability skills. Um, but now... They are, uh, I don't know which university they're linked with, um, but you can still get all of that and you leave with a degree mm. that you've been able to fund majority of the costings mm. um, through your student finance company, which is exactly what you would do if you were going to university, if you, if you needed to rely on the student finance as well. Um, I was speaking to the admin team for um, London Studio Centre, one of our students wanted to audition there, um, and the, the admissions uh, people were very much like myself and, and yourself, 
um, where she had, she trained in the 90s, early 2000s on a, a, the bank of mum and dad. Mm. She was fortunate enough to rely on that. Um, and even she said the, the amalgamation and the linking with universities has just opened up mm. this new wave of arts education for students. Mm. Um, and I think it's important for me as a teacher of post-16 to, to get that message out there and to say there are options available. Mm. Um, and there's no harm in linking, if you can, linking a, a course like that with a Dada Award, mm. with a bursary and go for the scholarship audition as well, um, and to try and just lower the cost as, as much as, as humanly possible. I remember my lodgings were oh, £50 a week, something along wow. those lines, um, and that included all my bills, and, and because of where I was, they actually placed me in with another family. Mm. Um, so I, I had um, a lovely couple called Maureen and Brian, um, who took three students in um, mm. from from our from my college, and they cooked our dinner and yeah. made sure our clothes were clean on a on a Sunday. Um, you know that that was that was fifty pound a week, everything included. Yeah. Uh, but if you even now, if you look at the costings uh, of accommodation alone, some of them could be up to one hundred and forty pound a week. Well, um, that's it's been kind of privatised because there's yeah. lots of really nice accommodation, but yeah. they're, they're run. Not by the institutions, but yeah, yeah, yeah. by private companies. Yeah. So you would get like a nice flat or whatever it is, but you'll pay an absolute fortune for it. Yeah. I think the worry is that I mean, do, will you will you have to have a job when you're studying? Or? Yeah, definitely. So I was at an audition last Tuesday, and I was talking to some of the girls that study there, and they said that during a day they work from like eight in the morning till six on a night, mm. and then they might go to work at seven. And then they might work on Saturday and Sunday just to be able to afford it all because the cost is like so high. And because a lot of the institutions are within London, then the costs of like food are even higher. So it's just increasing. Yeah. What sort of impact do you think that did they sort of say what impact that had on them? Um, so we were talking to them. Yeah, they said that some it just depends how their timetable works out and they can have between like a 10 minute break to an hour's break. So it really varies. But one of the girls was saying that. One night she got in from work and she went to bed for 17 hours. She didn't come out of bed for 17 hours because she was that like mentally exhausted mm. from having such a full on week. But they said like it is worth it, but I think it's mentally preparing before you leave that this is like a full time course. It's mm. not part time in the slightest, like it's intense. Mm. I've been speaking to uh, Mike Gibson and Pearson. Mm-hmm. They've set up, it's a new trust they've set up and they want to basically help people from this area who haven't got connections, haven't got a lot of money to sort of fill some of those gaps that, that would otherwise stop people pursuing a career in the arts. Um, what sort of gaps do you think need to be filled? So I think one of the, for me noticeably, was the cost of going to an audition. Mm. Like the fees can be in between like £30 and £70. And then to have to pay to a train to London. And then for a lot of them, like my audition started at nine in the morning, so I had to stay overnight. So like to pay for accommodation and travel and the cost of the audition. And then like even getting food in London, like it ends up being a really expensive cost. Like I have so many friends who afford their training like within Hull, but then the second they have to go to an audition, it's finding the money to be able to fund that because it can be like hundreds of pounds for an unsuccessful audition. And it is like, it is a big gap there. Does that mean you have to choose very carefully how many times you audition or where you audition? Yeah, so this year, I'm not too keen on leaving this year. I think I want to do a gap year and earn some money because of the expense of it all. So I've been quite selective about my auditions. So I'm only doing like two or three this year to get the experience. But for a lot of places, like I have a friend who did a gap year to just save money. And then the next year she did about six or seven auditions because she'd funded that all herself and saved the money. Mm. But it just really depends, like, if you'd rather stagger them or you want to do them all in one year. Some people, I like, absolutely give up after two or three years of auditioning in the same place. But then I know I've had a friend who he goes to audition at RADA every year and he met a man there who'd auditioned there for seven years wow. because he was so desperate to get in. So yeah. I think it really depends. Talking about, uh, it's, I guess it's more of a kind of broader question, really. Um, there's a sort of debate amongst the industry. Is... Are the institutions supplying the, the demand from the industry in terms of diversity? In terms, because the, 
the sort of the productions that are, are um, have been made now have to be more diverse. Yeah. Are more diverse, and and that's that's a, that's a welcome thing. And yet, some of the places where the people are coming from, some of the places where people are training, there's a perception that there's like a, a quite a narrow class and background um, sort of profile. So the sort of diversity has not been sort of satisfied in the industry, in the real world industry in productions. Do you, do you think the, um, the, the training institutions are kind of fit for purpose? Um, I think in terms of, well, it depends which train, training institute we look at. Um, I think uh, on the whole, um, uh, a lot are. However, um, it, it's, it's chicken and egg syndrome in that uh, productions, new productions need to be created. Um, people with new visions and, and new ambitions for, for production um, then have to find possible, well, of course, possibly existing performers that will fit that bill. Mm. Um, and it's realistically, it's only when shows are, um, it's only when shows are, uh, the shows or productions have got themselves a name, they've got themselves a following, um, that then the Performing Arts Institutes would maybe use some of their numbers or some of their themes within their own um, contextual work with mm. students as well. So, um, to, to, I think to answer your question, I don't think um, institutes can train every student for every eventuality uh, because we, we don't know what the eventualities will be. Um, I, when I trained, it was triple threat, triple threat, triple threat. You had to be a triple threat to get a job. Um, and then the minute that I graduated and I was in my first, uh, my first uh, show that I did, and then all of a sudden this quadruple threat started being, and I was thinking, what on earth is a quadruple threat? How, what else do you need from me? And then they wanted backflips and this and, and all that sort of stuff. And that, they were things that I had never been taught at all, um, because at the time of my training, it wasn't required. But then six months, nine months later, in an audition, it was brilliant. So you've done your song, amazing. You've done your acting. Um, you've done the dance, brilliant. Now, what else have you got? And you stand there and you think, how am I gonna blag my way through this? Because that's all I've been taught to do for, th for three years. Um, I, can, I can give you a great jazz hands, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, but uh, in terms of a backflip, um, no, not at all, yeah. not at all. Um, I guess that's that's all the sort of questions that I for me it's really getting a, a clearer and more accurate picture because I think this kind of here saying perception from within the industry mm. about um, about the, the sort of training offering that we left years ago yeah and so we lose touch with it and then kind of rumours come about that oh this is, this happens now and there's not enough of this and um, I'm encouraged to come here it sounds like you get a fantastic launch pad. Um, I think the worry is that that doesn't extend across this city and that people are just going to go through the, the sort of net and never get the chance to fulfil what, what they would, would be brilliant at. Yeah, it's really scary, isn't it, that you think here uh, we are so lucky to see this talent day in and day out. From all of our students at Sixth Form, they all bring something very special, um, whether that's comedy performance or whether that's Hannah's voice. Um, Sorry to like big you up, <laughs> you know, Hannah's voice is, is phenomenal. Um, and then we, we range from having fantastic dancers, ballet dancers or contemporary dancers. Um, and we've got some tappers coming through the ranks as well, which is really exciting. And that's great for us. But then it, it is also saddening to think that there are others out there who this could be um, their career. Um, they could be good enough to make it work. Um, they could be um, lucky enough uh, to, to get the breaks that they need in uh, yeah, audition for a stage school and then later on for, for performances. And it's sad to think that at the minute no performing arts teacher has got a grip on them because they're off our radar. And I think that, you know, that does need to change. I know that it's all finance, isn't it? Even from you know, taking your first dance class at three years old costs money. And it eventually it creeps up and up and up. 
to the point of if Hannah uh, wanted to do a singing lesson, a musical theatre lesson, a ballet lesson, um, uh, a body conditioning lesson, a stretch lesson, a contemporary musical theatre lesson, a classical musical theatre lesson, um, you're, you're going to be ending up looking at 30, 40, 50 pound per week for the best part of 39 weeks a year. Um, and then throw on a, a summer school as well for a couple of hundred pound here or there. Um, and, and I think we need to be looking at whole wide uh, funding to allow, as I said, like some, some of the grassroots classes to be possibly free. Um, I know that NAPA have got a fantastic outreach programme um, where they do go into the to a lot of primary schools and support there. We just need to ensure that from primary that love transitions into secondary mm. um, and that the secondary education system supports and nurtures that child's enjoyment in that subject. Um, if it's not on the curriculum um, at a secondary school, then, then at least we need to be looking at um, extracurricular lunchtime um, opportunities to engage those students. Um, and then they, they need to come to St Mary's after GCSEs <laughs> and, and then we'll, we'll guide them in the right direction after that. Big thanks to Ben and Hannah for those uh, insights there. And now, here's Michael Gibson and Andy Pearson. Well, it's like after the it's age of 17, that. isn't it? You know, you, that dream thing kind yeah. of disappears and it becomes about, you know, how do I make a living? Yeah. And, and it's still, you, you, and mainly I always found it's like, we have to do this because I can't fucking do anything else. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's like literally, because yeah. I squandered my youth doing all this bollocks. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, and pissed it up at school. So it was like, you know, this is all I can do. So yeah, I have yeah, to yeah. find things that Ooh. I can bring this to bear on other, you know, yeah. even if it's not acting, which was what I was originally, then it's like, well, what are me transferring skills keep, Yeah, there, it keeps you know? stimulated because obviously that's what we do and that's mm. what we're interested mm. in, you know. Yeah. Right, okay. So let's talk about um, the... What's the act stand for? H E Y A C Arts and Culture Trust. Hull and East Yorkshire Arts and Culture Trust, which we made. Hey, up. act! Hey, act! <laughs> hey, act! Yeah. Which, which we made up the the name. Yeah. We sort of discussed it and then came up with it ten minutes before the last meeting we had. And which we so call it that. Yeah, we we'll call it that. Right, that's it. And that's then you said, and funnily enough, it, it also the acronym works as Hey Act, which is quite hey nice, yeah. really. You know, sort of. Um, okay, tell us what is it and why is it? So. Last year, without going into, you know, my career and all that kind of stuff, I was in this show called Hamilton, which is a very big musical worldwide yeah. in London. And in America, when it was on, it was obviously making a lot of money. And the company out there decided that they wanted to give something back to the community of kids that wouldn't be able to afford the extortionate prices of Broadway tickets, mm -hmm. which were hundreds and hundreds of dollars per ticket. And they had a lottery and they decided that that wasn't enough. So they set up this thing called Eduham, which educational Hamilton for, and it was predominantly for schools where kids who had to pay, who, who got free school meals, which kind of broadly covered kids who wouldn't be able to afford to go and see the show. And they would give up their time and do the odd performance matinee for an audience full of non-paying underprivileged kids to see this incredible piece of theatre. So that kind of got baton, got passed on over to our original company of Hamilton when I was in it in the first year. And we did the first Eduham in the UK and it was incredible. We did this incredible performance, like a Tuesday matinee where the production company gave the theatre for free. We did the performance for free. We didn't get paid. We filled the auditorium with kids from predominantly from London and, and greater London from schools with kids that fit that criteria, I managed to then get a group of kids down from Hull, including my school, Hesel High, where I went, and I, and I contacted the, the drama department, which there wasn't a drama department when I was there, and specifically said, can you send a group of kids down? You'll have to pay for your travel, but we will provide the experience for them. Make sure it's kids who don't necessarily go on the ski trip every year, and make sure it's kids who you think would really benefit from this. So they did, and they brought them down. And then we got another group of kids down with um, Ian Thompson's yeah, group. Freedom Road. With yeah. Freedom Road yes. as well. So I got a group of those kids down who I didn't know, but I contacted Ian through Andy, who I sort of know Ian from the past. And um, they came down, and as far as I'm aware, it kind of changed some of these kids' lives, <laughs> seeing this West End show. There was lots of tears involved, happy tears and mm. all that. And it was amazing for me to sort of do that for them. And that was that. 
Andy was a part of that conversation because I rang you, didn't I, mm. to say, can you think of anybody? And you put me in touch with Ian and Freedom Road. And then I was up in Hull probably about a year ago now, and I said to Andy, are you around? Can we meet up for a coffee? Yeah. I've got an idea. Well, yeah, and it, I think it was based on um, something that Caroline, your wife, had been involved with. That's mm. where it sort of started, didn't it? Just yeah, that, so, that background. Yeah, so my wife is very good friends with a guy called Wynne Evans, who is the go compare guy, the fat guy who sings go compare. Oh, That's him. Yeah, he's a Welsh opera singer. Mm. He's a mate of my wife's from like youth theatre from wow. before he went to opera school. And his mother, unfortunately, passed away and left like a f- trust fund. It was something like five or ten thousand pound that she wanted it to go to her estate. Obviously, she left. We don't know the details, but she left whatever she left to her family. But then she wanted some of it to go to to the um, the arts in the area. So they set up this trust, and what they did was they would do these auditions where they would get kids who were wanting to go to music school or drama school, and they would divvy out. And they only had a certain amount of money, as far as I'm aware. I didn't know this until recently. But it was something like 10 grand over like two or three years and they give you 500 quid, you 250, what do you, and some people would get 50, and it was like a contribution. And I thought that, what a lovely idea. And my wife actually got, she got asked to be a part of the um, panel for the audition. So that was kind of where it seeded the idea with me, you know, as well as the thing that happened with Hamilton. And then we had the conversation. And when Mike mentioned it, I was like, well, that's interesting that you're sort of talking about that because... When I came back about 15 years to Hull, I used to do quite a lot of tutoring of kids who were um, 17, 18, who wanted to go off to drama school. Because, um, I, I mean, I, I worked back at Lamdrafter, I left there and stuff, and sat on audition panels there. So it was basically just a sort of do's and don'ts, taking through the pieces, finding interesting pieces, and, you know, prepping them up. And those kids, by and large, were from quite a broad background. And then sort of, I just realised that recently, in the last sort of five, six years, I haven't tutored anybody. Mm. And they haven't been coming and finding me. And I sort of was asking around some people I knew who was sort of um, Freya, who was uh, who was in the, the the BBC piece that we did a couple of weeks ago. Um, she was a sort of family friend, and and they were coming back with this sort of idea that well, I can't really afford it. You know, the auditions were very expensive um, at that point. It was like yeah, they're sort of fifty, sixty quid a time. I've got to get a train down. That's eighty quid a time. You know, then uh, I don't really know anybody, so we've got to go and stay in travel lodge, which is one hundred and twenty quid. So you're looking at sort of, you know, 250 quid for one audition. And, and if so, you get recalled. Exactly. You've got to either go back or you've got to, you know, whatnot. Yeah. And then you, if you're looking at doing four colleges, you know, with the London ones particularly, then, you know, it's over a thousand quid. Um, so most of them had given up before they'd even started with the idea that that they could do this or go into further training um, and, and, and those sort of career options, which just seemed awful. And then that sort of goes up before Christmas. I was working back down at Lambda and... They've got this fantastic new facility. They've rebuilt the whole place. But just sort of wandering around, sitting in classes and stuff, you realise that there's quite a specific sort of person is starting to sort of dominate the scene, which is pretty much your trust-funded young people who come, broadly speaking, from the southeast, you know, who don't have to necessarily worry about the finance end of it. Mm. And... So, you know, again, it was just that sort of idea that it would be awful if, if the northern voice started to disappear. Also very boring for, mm. for sort of going down, you know, for future casting and, and everything else. If all the professionally trained actors are just sort of kind of come about sub eaten types. I mean, it's just going to be a very sort of bland. It takes it right back to the 1920s, you know, mm. when, when it was very similar. It was sort of a, a posh person's pursuit. It's know? coming full circle, isn't it? Yeah. And I think also, you know, to tail end on that is... It's just been the city of culture, as we all know. And, you know, Andy put this to me, you know, when you said, you know, it's amazing that they've spent all this money on buildings and facilities and stuff, but now let's invest in the people. Mm. So I think that's kind of the bottom line, isn't Mm. it? To make sure that people feel that they are kind of bulletproof in a way so that people think, well, that is something that I could absolutely access and I could absolutely do. And we wanted to set up this fund that could just give people the impetus more than anything. And I think, which we'll get, go into in a minute, I suppose, it, feel, it seems like it's, it's going to be hopefully a, a lot more than that. And initially, my idea and Andy's idea was that we could access the industry in Hull mm-hmm. and tap into some of the businesses and use a bit of, you know, I have a little bit of a profile at the moment and I can 
talk to my friends and colleagues from Hall who are in, but like yourself and 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 other actors that we know to kind of get behind it and say no, absolutely, and hopefully then we can contact some of the more famous people. That you know, you're very good friends with with Richard Bean. I'm very good friends with James Graham, who went to Hull University, who who who's absolutely said yeah, I'll I'll absolutely get on board. And John Godber and 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 then the actors. Hopefully we can tap into people like Maureen Lipman and John Alderton and say, would you would you just give us the thumbs up from afar, even if even if that's all it is, or come and help. So. Hopefully this will turn into something bigger. So we've, the idea was, was that we would access some of the, the industry, the, the money that is being made in Hull and say, you've, you've enjoyed watching the City of Culture thing happen. It's dying down. Now let's, can you put something back into this and let us hopefully referee that for you, you know? I think the, um, and so with, the, with those contacts as well, cause I think it was two age thing. There was on the one side, there was the, the financing of it, but also to try and, get people's confidence up as well. Mm. So people, you know, young people who don't believe they can do it, partly because of the finance, partly because nobody's really told them that they can do it, you know, is to try and go out to, you know, various organisations, schools and stuff and find the people who might have the talent. And, the diamonds and, and, in the rough. Yeah. For the and, of a yeah, yeah. Well, I think it is. And I think there's a, there's a lot to be, like I said, you know, when I've worked on audition panels before, there was, I always use this thing that the, there were three areas of the country. It was around the northeast, around uh, Middlesbrough and Sunderland, there's Holland East Riding and there's sort of South Wales, which produced more kind of really talented people. I think it's because they're ex-industrial areas, maybe there might be something in that, I don't know. But it's trying to retain that and, and, and to sort of make sure that also then by mentoring a little bit and maybe trying to tap into some people and... And, and educate them, them as well yeah. and, and let them know, because we, we know a bit about what we do, you know, and you do as well. You're an actor, you know how it works so that we can be there and, you know, give them support and say, give them advice mm -hmm. and educate them in how audition for drama school works or educate them in let's say there's a kid out there who goes do you know what I'd love to work on a film set mm. and their only option is you know there's nothing wrong with this but their only option is going out and getting a labouring job or working in a supermarket which is great I did that when I was younger but what about beyond that mm. and like for example one of my best friends he said to me the other day I've always wanted to be a grip because he's got an interest in film he's, he's followed what I do and he's been on the odd film set with me and he really likes the idea of being a grip. How do you become a grip on a film set? There's so much filming going on in Yorkshire. Mm -hmm. why, why does it have to be people who come up from Manchester or, or down south to do it? Why can't they, there be a, a network up here? Um, and we know that there's been stuff happening in Hull. There's been the odd thing filmed up here mm -hmm. and things like that. So we want to educate them and get them involved. Mm -hmm. And then writers and people, why can't we produce a, an Oscar winning film? director from Hull mm. one day, yeah. you know, who can really go out there and there might be a 15 year old kid out there who's making films on his iPhones mm -hmm. and we're going to say, come on, mate, we're going to get you into the into one of the top film schools in the world, let alone London. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not just the financial job. Like you say, it's a grand if you want to go mm. do the drama school auditions, but no guarantee of getting in. It's also the, the little kind of the sort of soft skills and the invisible things of like. Yeah, when you see these viral videos of like the, the guy who's gone out to cut homeless people's hair mm. and give them a shave, yeah. it's a bit like that. We're kind of going, we're going to make you look the part. Yeah. So you, when you walk in the room, people are going to take you seriously. You're going to feel confident. You know what it's like. You, you go to an audition, I don't know about you, but you might have a little shave, wear your new shoes, and it just yeah. makes you feel a bit better. <laughs> That's kind of what we're doing yeah. in, an, in a psychological way. Yeah, and I think that the by making those connections and networking people up, again, it comes back to, to sort of bringing people together in Hull, because obviously there's different organisations, you know, I mean, Chris Hees is doing stuff with the BFI mm, right. stuff and everything else, and, and I think that probably over the sort of the whole time of city culture, it wasn't the best time for, for people who worked in, in creative industries in Hull to talk to each other because it was pretty, it was a little bit gatekeepered, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and managed. Some people had been given money, other people were yeah. completely sort mm. of frozen out, so there was a bit of tension between various constituencies. Um, and like you say, now there's this sort of, not a void, but there's all the potential. People have seen potential end results of training. They've been down to Victoria Palace, they've seen you, and you mm. think, wow. You went to my school. Yeah. So how do I get from here to, to there? Mm. It's just that, that leap into sort of mm. training and mm. into the industry. And I mean, it's worth saying that, you know, when I went to drama school, I mean, I started in Amdram, mm -hmm. Amateur Theatre. Me too, Hez yeah. Hezel, yeah. Hezel Theatre yeah, Company yeah, yeah. I, I was involved in through my mum because she had an interest in it. Then I, I auditioned for, I mean, it was a different time as well. Mm. The industry wasn't saturated with kind of quick fix celebrity 
craziness mm. and YouTube and people blogging and vlogging and doing all this kind of, kids have a instant access to something that isn't real. Yeah. And I think that's something that we feel like we should be able to educate people between the difference between the kind of the fakery mm. and the kind of, you know, it's one thing kind of going down to audition for a boy band mm. that's going to, you know, make a lot of money. For, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or be, be on it's X Factor. It's a star-making myth that they, that they sort of perpetuate this myth of how, you know, hey, if you just dream hard enough, we'll pluck you out of... Exactly. And they drop you as quick as they plucked yeah. you out. And I think we want to give people a real foundation mm -hmm. in what, from this area, in what it, in what it takes. Mm to be taken seriously and take the job seriously and realize your potential. And being an artist is, it's not something you can learn. You've got to have it in you. Mm. And I mean, that sounds a bit silly, but that's kind of real. If somebody can paint, mm. they've got it in them. And we want to find, it's this again, this isn't just about people who can sing, dance and act. If somebody's an artist and they can, they can paint incredible paintings, I don't know anything about art, but why can't we, invest in them to go to to art school yeah. and go and work with somebody who, you know, whereas somebody from a privileged, more privileged background is more likely to have that opportunity. I mean, yeah, I was- There are contacts and there's, there's almost like a, a sort of precedent of people in their family or in their sort of social circle. They know somebody who knows exactly. somebody. Exactly, I mean- and if, you, if you're not in that sort of Venn diagram at all, if you're coming completely fresh, but you have, like you say, that artistic sort of impulse, this is kind of un-, un Unknown language that you kind of need. Well, it's a confidence. Mm. It's a confidence. We were talking about runners, weren't we, the other day? Yeah, yeah. runners. I mean, um, you've been on film always, sets, yeah. Posh. Yeah. You know, always, they're always like these sort of. Uh, yeah. And you know, it sounds. Like, it sounds like we're being like we're yeah. being inverted <laughs> snobs here, but it's the truth. I mean, when you when you work on a film set, for anybody who's listening, it is quite cool. Sometimes, if it's quite a big budget, they pick you up in a car and they take you to the film set because it's about them getting you there on time. And predominantly, the first person who opens the door of the car, because normally it drives you right up to the set, you get out the car is normally the runner or one of the ADs, assistant directors, third assistant directors as they're known. And that third assistant director is usually somebody who is connected. The reason why they are doing it, because they're not getting paid very much money, so they can afford to be there because their financial background supports that. And I sort of make a point normally of, of, of being nice to them because that's what it's, yeah. it's good to be a nice person because you never know where they're gonna be in 10 years time. Mm. And they normally say, well, I'm here because my dad's one of the producers or my mum's is the line producer's sister and my mum, you know. I mean, the third day, I just did a big TV series in filming in Manchester with this incredible director who's been around for years, brilliant, brilliant guy. And his son was, was one of the runners, which is brilliant. Yeah. But good for them. But good for yeah. them. Yeah. But now we need to go, okay, so let's connect to the people of Hull, to the people who do it in Hull. Yeah. And then we can be that connection mm. for them. Yeah. And they might, not even re they might not even realise those jobs are available. I think this is the thing, it's about, again, this sort of fake idea that somehow it's, it's a dream and that it's just kind of this sort of narrative that we're sold by these sort of game shows. It's a career. It can be a career. You know, the creative industry make a huge amount of money in this country if you go into them with great games design or music production, whatever you do. Um, but you have to have the information about what's available and what you can do. Like you say, you, you want to become a grip. Um, most people go, well, how on earth do I go about that? So you want those questions answering because you can't go on Google and go, how do I become a grip? And I, and I sat down with one of the grips a couple of weeks ago on the set and said, my friend wants to be a grip. What does he need to do? To one of the grips in the in the catering van. And he to went, one of the grip is in with lifting. Who has no idea what we're talking about? Yeah. I will at this point do a little insert. Uh, yeah, a grip. A grip is a grip is somebody who basically does everything to do with the camera and yeah. where it goes and how it moves, except the actual operation of the camera. So they lay the tracks down. They move the the the. What do you call it? The thing that it stands on, um, dolly, the, the dollies, dolly and, the, and, the, and they and they often a grip will come with their own equipment that they own, um, or they hire them out, or whatever it is. So it's it's quite a manual job. It's it's you know it's a it's a cool job to do. Girls and boys do it, mm -hmm. men and women rather. Um, and the grip said to me, "You need to go into one of the hiring houses." Which, What's that? What's a hiring house? <laughs> a, hiring, a hiring house is a is a. Is, is where you go and you hire your equipment for, for lighting and for camera equipment and all that. And th there isn't, as far as I'm aware, any in Hull. Mm. Um, I think it's Leeds, but there's definitely in Manchester. And you go in and you talk to the guys. You say, how do I become a grip? Because every day there are grips walking in. And like, it's like if you want to become a plumber, you walk into a builder's merchants mm. and they'll say, right, this guy's looking for a, for a new labourer. Mm. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And as far as I'm aware, to become a grip, you get yourself a job on a film set, you make tea, you move crap around, mm. you probably get 
you know, the usual treatment that people get at the bottom of the ladder, mm -hmm. and you earn your stripes, and then you get the job of holding the camera yeah. and deciding where it all goes, and you move up the ranks, mm -hmm. and then you're in. Yeah. You're, in the, you're in the circle, and that's the point of this whole scheme. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I don't want to get too political, but fuck it, we live in a political world, and that's why you guys have to set up things like this. So there's, there's um, government policy doesn't seem particularly in favour of arts training. No. They're pulling drama and, and sort of arts subjects. It's really hard if you want to like learn an instrument to get a kind of like you know clarinet lessons yeah, and yeah. stuff. Because they think, oh no, you, let, let's let's teach them how to um, let's get, let's give them a trade. You know, especially in in the kind of northern powerhouse. It's like yeah, this is what we want you to do. We want to get you fit for work, for, you know, for factory work and stuff. Mm. And that's great. But if that's not what's in your heart, and you're thinking. Nobody around me in this city wants me to do this, yeah. but I do. Mm. Then that's where you guys have to fill the gap. Well, exactly, and I think, and to go back to what you're saying about you know the political side of things, when I, I sort of started talking about earlier on, I went off on a bit of a tangent. When I went to, eventually went to drama school, I, I went to Guildford School of Acting because I knew about it because I was doing other stuff as well, and the fees were, I think at the time it was something like seven thousand pound a year yeah. to go to drama school. And I couldn't afford that. I mean, my parents couldn't afford it. And I, because I knew a bit more about it at the time, like I said, it was a different time. I was like, well, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. And that's what happened. And I ended up being given this thing called, um, I fell on my feet. I got given this thing called the Dance and Drama Award, which I think they kind of still exist, but they don't in the way that they did. And they were brought in by the Labour government. It was an amount of money mm -hmm. that I think it had something to do with the National Lottery as well. Right. It's all a very grey area because at the time I'd auditioned for a diploma to be on the diploma course and so not the degree. And I got in and I think something like they, the system was they, you got marked on your audition. And if you got a certain mark, mm -hmm. you got an automatic a dance, a Dada award scholarship, which yes. is what they were called. And I got one of those. So I just got this letter to say, like two weeks after I got the letter to say, congratulations, you got into GSA, Guildford School of Acting. I got another letter saying, we've selected you, you've been given a full grant, a full scholarship. And I was like, wow, so that was amazing. But then I still had to apply for a student loan to pay for my living costs and got a job and was working front of house at the theatre and, you know, making pizzas on the weekend. And it was, you know, it was hard work, but it was amazing for me. Um, but then there were other kids who then had to go and if they didn't get that, I think there, were, there was a few, only a few of us that got that and the, everybody else had to go down and audition. And I remember there being one girl in my year who didn't get a Dada award and she was up for it. And her parents had had to remortgage their house so that they could pay for her to go to drama school. And she was, you know, I mean, I don't really know whatever happened to her, but it's, that's the reality. I think but that problem, was brought in by the Labour government. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think one of the problem with our sort of incumbent overlords at the moment is they literally they don't get it because most of them from a background um, where the arts means a very different thing. Mm. The arts is a privileged sort of place to be. I mean, I saw I saw Matt Hancock talk at a, an event in Manchester, and he was being sort of um, questioned about when he when he was a culture minister. Um, about community arts. Well, I understand perfectly well about community arts. I mean, I spent the morning yesterday at the Royal Opera House on the stage with the choir. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you go, mate, that ain't community arts. Yeah. You know, it's sort of that sort of privilege mm. that allows you access to these big, big organisations does not resonate necessarily as soon as you get 25 mm. miles outside of the London city centre. And, and it means for us, I mean, this is the infancy of this trust that we've set up. It means that we're going to have to do some work and we're going to have to sort of utilise local people to get on board as well, like all charities do, to kind of do the groundwork and yeah. find the kids and make sure that the right kids are getting given the money if we find them. Because we can't just have some kid who's already, you know, in every dance class and singing class going, mm. thinking, well, they can apply for this and they, their parents have got a nice income and all that you know unfortunately we're going to have to put them at the bottom of the list mm. we've got to find the kids who can't afford it mm. who like you say just feel like it's not an option for them there was a tweet the other day that came in it was it was heartbreaking really of, of um tom used to run the youth theater whole truck who yeah. said that he'd had a kid had gone down to audition and um for one of the colleges and was told that he hadn't made it through because he seemed a bit distracted and he wasn't with us and that he was you know a bit lacking in energy 
And then it turned out that this kid had gone down the night before because that's the only train he could afford. He slept in a 24-hour McDonald's because he couldn't afford a hotel. And had gone to his audition. So, of course, he was knackered, mm. you know. And there was no way he was going to give the best of himself because he couldn't afford the, the, the train that would either get him down mm. at the right time or he couldn't afford to stay overnight. And that's precisely the sort of thing that you know, these people who might have you know, huge amounts of talent... Um, you know, still spending a lot of money to do that, and then they don't make the best of themselves because they, they've had to sleep on the floor at McDonald's. I mean, it, you know, it's it's crazy. It's giving people the, the space to be able to do what they do mm. properly. Mm. I mean, you know, let's say we, we find an, an incredible young writer. Mm -hmm. Now, an incredible young writer has to find the time to write, mm -hmm. you know, which means that being stressed about having a cleaning job or something like, you know, we may be able to give them some sort of a benefit if you like. It's like somebody being on, on a benefit so that, like in the world of families who need benefits so that they can support their kids, you know, I'm a big supporter of that. Mm. And it means that these people can have the headspace yeah. to be confident enough to, to follow through with that film they're writing or that play they're writing. Because even once you've been to drama school, as we know, like you say, you've got to then keep the ball in the air and have the confidence to be able to be match fit to go into an audition yeah. and nail it and be the person that, that they want for the job or at least think, well, he's brilliant. He's not right for this, but we're going to get him in for that or her or, you know. And that is having that headspace to, to know that the other stressful stuff, which most of the time comes down to lack of funds, mm -hmm. is caused by. People sometimes don't realise. You think, oh, well, you get an audition and you just go in and, and you kind of do it and do your best. And if, if they like you, you get the part. The practicalities of that, if you live in London particularly and you're doing a, another job, so you, let's say you get an audition for two days later, but you've got all your shifts kind of booked mm -hmm. in at wherever you work, and you can't just sort of say, right, I'm not coming in because I've got to learn these lines. So <laughs> you either kind of give your job up and then try and find another one. It might be a great It takes job. over your life. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and you've got, to, you've got to stay up. You know, if, you, if you finish your shift at midnight, whatever, you've got to stay up and learn these like, six sides of, of script. Then you've got to kind of be up at like nine, to get to the place in central London for 10 and then absolutely nail your audition. And if you don't have to work, if you can just kind of like swan around all day, good good for you, mm. learning your lines. Um, if not, then you're going to be right up against it. And that thing about learning lines, I mean, it's uh, just a little side note. There's this brilliant clip of Peter O'Toole being interviewed by some American guy going, tell me about how you learn your lines. You know, and Peter O'Toole says, let's think about what you just said. You said, Le think about that word learn. Learn your, he says, I don't learn my lines. He says, is there anything that you can think of that you, you know off by heart, like a poem or a song like Happy Birthday that you could just, you could just recite now? And the guy says, yeah, there's a couple of things. He says, well, that's what I have to do when I, when I, as you say, learn my lines. He says, what I actually do is I study them. He says, you're asking somebody if you want me to learn my lines is go somewhere on my own, alone, and study these lines so that I understand what they mean, why they're there, what order they come in. Also study the other, if it's a duologue or a scene, you've got to study the other lines so that you just know what it is. And that takes up so much time and so much energy. I've been in this car journey up, I've been going through my lines yeah. for an audition, not an audition, a job that I'm doing this week that I'm filming. It's a big scene. I've got to constantly be going through them because I can't just show up because I'll forget. In the same way that, you know, the CEO of a company has to get up and talk in front of his company about some new strategy or whatever. Mm. They've got to know what they're talking. You can't stand there and not know what you're talking about. Yeah. And that takes, takes time and confidence. Mm. And if you don't have the confidence and people backing you and people having your back, then it's going to be really hard for you. So we want to be able to give them that backing, and, don't yeah, we? And also get away from this myth narrative about the fact that somehow, you know, you're plucked from obscurity and then suddenly you're rich and famous and, you, and, and it's a lazy lifestyle. You don't have to do anything. And I think that's something we wanted to talk about as well is that, yeah, we, we're hoping that this is going to financially support people, but also it's the, it is, it's that network, isn't it? Of like, we could, we could be there to do, uh, what would you call it? Like well, it's supportive. I mean, you know, I, th I think it's supporting artists as they develop through the stages of their career. You know, so it is that sort of thing where you go. It's about working together as well. You know, I mean, bringing people together to go. You know, I'm having a bit of a hard time. You know, the psychological kind of implications. If you have, say, for instance, had a bit of a good run on, you know, and then but. When you got your, your your four episodes of Casualty, you spanked all the money on buying a new fridge and a car, and then suddenly you find that you've got no money left, yeah. and you're back working at B and M. 
you know, it's there's a psychological block there as well that it can can often be just sort of by talking to people, just having you know, mm. sort of sitting down and not being shamed in the press about it, you know, and then feeling terrible about you know that somehow you failed or this is this this is a life, this is a sort of a career is an ongoing thing, you know, it's a journey, not, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and I think that that's again something you sort of feel that would be great to be able to offer a, a kind of situation where people just talk it through, you know, and I think it is very rooted in this area. I think that this is one thing we can talk about it that is that we felt very much that it is whole and east riding because i mean obviously we're all from there but but we wanted to concentrate on the place you know where we're from we know that there are towns and it's a, and it's an interesting geographically it's an interesting place you know it's not a thoroughfare hall mm. it's a place where you go and then you leave yeah, yeah. you know and um, and it's a bit of an island on its yeah. own i mean the accent's very interesting and different and somebody told me the other day weirdly that the tune of a whole accent is very similar to a Dutch accent, apparently. Right. If you took the the tune, like if you yeah, talk yeah. about a Welsh tune, it's very similar to a Dutch, mm. right. which is one of the reasons why we have this kind of way of talking here, That's which I've kind of lost now, but you know. And wouldn't it be great as well if momentum is kind of generated and some of the people who go away to London decide to come back and set, mm. up, exactly. set up a facilities house and say, you know what, we're going to set it up here. We've got a, fan, we've got a kind of a natural film set. We've got mm. water, we've got countryside, beautiful old town where we can kind of shoot Pit, stuff. Period stuff to be shot, yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, you, you come here. There's, there's, there's mm. space, there's old yeah. warehouses that could easily be turned into a soundstage mm -hmm. with, you know, where they could build sets. And why couldn't a soap be made here? Yeah. You know, I mean, look at Cardiff is has become like this hub of TV now, mm -hmm. predominantly because I think there was a Welsh soap shot down there and Welsh TV. So they had the facilities mm -hmm. there. They had the crews. And that's why the BBC went there and started making Doc 2. Yeah. Now Pinewood is down there and it, it just builds and builds. Like you say, the momentum yeah. picks up. And I mean, I know there was talk of of whole sort of, I think you said that Channel 4 were looking at coming up here at one point. There's and some discussion about it when they went to Leeds. But yeah. also before, prior to that, you know, I think some of the old factories at BAE in Brough, you know, they were looking at those as maybe sound stages and stuff. But we have, a, we have a, an issue with, with, with money, though, because obviously someone like Wales has a devolved parliament, so yeah. they can allocate a lot of money to this sort of thing, is where we don't have that kind of northern powerhouse, where they go, yeah, we can give financial incentives for companies to come up here and, and base themselves here. And I think that, but it's working in the right direction. I think it, there is a political thing that the, the, the Behind it, you know, the sort of wherever government is in power needs to recognise the power and the, and, the, and the earning power. In some ways, I hate going down that alleyway of talking about the earning power of, of the creative industry because you want to part your heads going, well, it's art for art's sake. But mm. it can do. It creates it, jobs. It, it yeah. does create jobs. Uh, school jobs, non-school jobs. And it could, be, jobs, and it could be that, let's say, 10 years' time, there is a film studio up here making things. And it means that another big hotel gets built, mm -hmm. which creates jobs because mm -hmm. there's another, you know... Hilton decide well we're going to build a Hilton there because you've got Hollywood movie stars going up there and and it's creating it, it all builds momentum yeah, you know which we're which very is... lucky that when we when we launched this so it sort of went out on on the BBC evening news and then literally I got a phone call from a guy I know who runs the Smile Foundation whole and they're a sort of organization that broker between charities and they um, they helped with giving that they said they'd been appointed by a legacy fund to try and disseminate 1.3 million quid that this lady had left. Um, is that Audrey Mose? Mosey, yeah, Mosey, from, yeah, from Cottingham. And, who, and, was, who was a, you know, never had kids, married, yeah. and her and her wife, I think, had property, didn't they, abroad and things like that, and that's where her estate mm -hmm. was. And she always wanted to be a dancer. Yeah. And she, so wanted, she wanted part of it. I mean, I think she left quite a lot of it it wasn't just 1.3 million which I keep pointing out to people it's it, it's not all coming towards us it's like you know yeah. it went to a lot of other good causes but a portion of that legacy fund was left for young people trying to fulfill their ambitions and their dreams of having a career she, in the arts that maybe she felt she never the, the, you know the yes. boat that got away that she never got to do yeah. so basically they've set us up they've given us a huge what, what would you call it? A kind of a... Well, boost. I mean, it's a boost to sort of <laughs> yeah. get it started that we also... But we can match that then is now because we thought to start with that we just have to go around cap in hand to businesses right. going, can you give us, you know, 200 quid here, 200 yeah, yeah. quid there. And that would have been else. great and just to been, yeah. say for the, for the first year, let's say we're going to pay for five kids to go and audition mm. for drama school and two for film school and mm. start looking at the... And just... But now it's like we can hit the ground running. Mm. We could potentially pay for somebody to go to drama school next year who never thought that that would even be a reality and we can build this around th those people or that person and start supporting them in every way possible and giving them the confidence 
And, it, and like I say, what it isn't just about drama training, it's about all, all kind of artistic backgrounds and, and what, what they might need to help them go down there can, you know, can be a lot bigger now because we've got this mm. possibility. And, it's start, and because of our connections into the business, mine and Andy's, you know, it's generated a bit of interest. Like the stage newspaper have got behind it and they think it's a cracking idea. And my old drama school, Guildford School of Acting, the guy who runs it, a guy called Sean McNamara, who's the principal there, I was talking to him at an event the other week, an alumni event for my thing, and they've got in touch and they potentially want to come up and do auditions in Hull for, you know, start doing a bit of an outreach mm -hmm. and going, well, let's have a look. Let's send a couple of people up and do a first round audition in Hull. If, if the word gets around, it's like, oh, there's a massive pool of talent in Hull. Yeah. You go up there, it'd be worth mm -hmm. their while. And, we're, and, we're, and then by doing that, yes, we're going to be hopefully funding people who can't afford it, but we're then bringing connections into Hull. And then it self-perpetuates after that, but the more interest there is in a place, mm. um, like you're saying, if people are coming here to audition, then there'll be more people pushing themselves forward, word will get out, which is a sort of thing that never really happened with city culture. It's <coughs> happened within the city, and it, and it was a great year of lots of stuff happening, but there wasn't a build of capacity of people working and doing stuff, you know, and I think that was the problem. That, and, and none of the financing and funding went towards that, or very, very little um, sort of token pots going here and there, but there, was, there wasn't a concerted effort to try and develop people through their lives to sort of say, yeah, you can be an artist, you can be creative, and you can turn that into a worthwhile job or career. And so I think that probably now, as the dust is settling, we're looking at the next phase. And keeping that momentum and making sure that, that we involve, it's not a case of like, when we go to the, the industry in Holland, the businesses and saying, come on, give us your money. Mm. It's gonna be, no, we want you to get involved. Mm. It's not about money, it's about getting involved in these people. And that's what an investment is, isn't it? In business, if you invest in something, you yeah. put in, you turn a penny into a into a pound, and then a yeah. pound into a hundred pound, because you invested in the idea at the beginning. And that's the idea is that we want people to invest in the talent, which yeah. means that we could then expand on. You know, that's you know how it works. And for me, you know, I've had a little bit of success recently, and I just thought, well, strike while the iron's hot. Me and Andy have connected, and you know, me and Andy were both involved in something called the National Youth Music Theatre at different stages yeah. when we were younger. But even like things like the NYMT or NYT, that's that's expensive as well. Yeah. Of course it is. You know. I when I when I did the NYMT, it was something like five hundred pound for the year, um, and initially my parents were like, nope, not doing it, can't afford it, and I stuck my heels in and said no, I want, and I got money from Robson Green at the time had had his big number one hit and he was in Soldier Soldier and all that kind of stuff mm. and he was it was uh, Robson Jerome wasn't yeah. it and there was a Sunday supplement article about the fact that he'd set up was did he feel guilty that he had all this fame and that this success he said no because I've set up a production company which he's now gone on to make all his fishing programs and mm. all his dramas that he makes and he'd also set up a trust fund and I wrote to the company and they sent me 100 quid mm. you know it works mm -hmm. it does work you know I fitted the criteria but I think, you know, it's, we're going to have to sort of do it properly and make sure that we find the right people, aren't we? Yeah. So, so now the job really goes out there trying, you know, to unearth the talent that, you know, might be missed. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the next thing as well. Yeah. as And then sort of making sure that they get, you know, the directional uh, motivation. And what's the information that we need to give out about, like, how do people get in touch? And They can just, I mean, they can go, I mean, we will have a website. We now have a presence on Twitter. Yeah. We yes. act on Twitter, we just started. What up. is it on Twitter? I need to look it's it up. At, um, <laughs> I'm going to find it. I'll do this. Yeah, I'll you can do this stuff. Yeah, you no, put it all, yeah, you'll put tweet it, it yeah. won't you? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll do an announcement at the end after this. But we can, you can come through to the E52, my company's website as well, and cool. email, and for the time being, until we get the website set up. But, yeah. Um, Amazing. Um... Thank you so much. Thanks, I'll man. stop there. And I did stop there. Um, but they're not stopping there. Andy and Mike are going to continue until this city is a hotbed of talent. Um, and so they should because there's a lot of it here. So big thanks to them and to Ben and Hannah. And if you want to get in touch and hear more uh, or offer your support to the Hey Act project, you can follow them on Twitter at Hey Act, H-E-Y-A-C-T. Or you can get in touch with Andy or Joe. Andy's email is andy at e52.co.uk and they will tell you how you can apply for support and guidance. And um, if you want to support the trust and offer your help, uh, then they'll tell you how to do that as well. And if you are going away uh, or thinking about going away to train in the performing arts, I wish you the best of luck. It's a great life. It's hard. It's challenging. But if it's what you want to do, then you've got to go for it. And hopefully... Uh, we've shown that there are people and places who can help you do that. Now finally, 
In the next few years, when you hear people from the government and the establishment tell you that the arts are soft subjects, or that drama and music should make way for a more valuable, worthwhile curriculum, keep this in mind. Eton College, where you can take GCSE or A-level theatre studies, has three theatres, two studios and a main house that's nearly as big as whole truck. They've got five full-time theatre professionals running the place, led by an artistic director, and they stage over 20 productions a year. I'm going to leave you with the words of actor Julie Hesmentalge. A culture without diversity is a sick one. If our future artists only come from a narrow stratum of society, the most well-off and privately educated, then who will be left to tell the stories of the rest of us? Who will hold a mirror up to the world and ask the important questions about how we live now? Because art exists not only to entertain, but to reflect and inform and inspire. Happy Christmas and have a great new year. <laughs>